You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. The title of my sermon today is Decisions, Decisions. And we're going to talk about the decisions of two different people who are in very similar situations. And let's get right to it. Matthew chapter 26. In verses 1 and 2, it says this. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Jesus was getting the disciples ready for decisions that they had to make long before he left this earth. He told them numerous times, There's going to come a day. This is going to happen to me. He warned them. He prepared them. He loved them through the process. I don't know if they all bought into it. I don't know what happened. I don't know what they were all thinking. All I know is that Jesus was doing his part to get them ready and preparing them. I'm sorry about my voice today. Uh, A couple of people uh, from our church graduated from the police academy. Actually, one of them is right over there, Daniel Fontanez. He's sitting right over there on Thursday. The other one was Seth Taylor. So Roswell got two more police officers out of Church on the Move, praise God. And uh, in true Church on the Move fashion, uh, we got a little bit rowdy when they walked the stage. So uh, my voice has been uh, going away slowly since I pulled that. Um, So just bear with my voice this morning. I'm not feeling bad at all. Um, But we're going to talk about decisions of two different disciples that walked with Jesus. And in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 26, we're going to read quite a few verses here, but please listen to what happens with these two guys. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, Jesus said, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The son of man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Remember that word that he uses for Jesus here. He calls him teacher. Surely you don't mean me, teacher. And, And, you know, I've heard a lot of people, like, minister a lot of different things about Judas. And one of the things that I've heard that I think is completely, is completely unfair to God Uh, and his mercy and his goodness is that Judas was chosen from the beginning to betray Jesus, so Judas was destined to hell. And the Bible says that every man gets to make that decision. We're gonna discuss that here in a little bit, but Jesus debunks that thought right here whenever he says this. Judas said, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi, Jesus answered. You said so. In other words, you said it, man, I didn't say it. You're the one who's choosing to betray me. I didn't say it. You have said it. You've brought it on. As a matter of fact, Judas has already had a conversation that we're going to read about here in a minute that reveals what was going on with him. So picking up right there, Jesus tells Judas, you said so. You chose this. In verse 26, he goes on and says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and he had given thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. 
This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And the other disciples said the same. All but Judas, because he had been dismissed from the table. And Jesus, whenever Judas had said that, said, man, just go and do what you came to do. Just go and get on with it. But what we see is we see the life of Judas and we see the life of Peter. And both of these men traveled with Jesus for three years. They both watched Jesus raise somebody from the dead. They saw it. They both saw him cast out demons, heal people, people who had never walked before in their lives. He said, get up. And they got up and they walked. He healed blind people. He set people free. He forgave a woman of her adultery in front of all of them. Like Jesus did stuff in front of these guys. They slept in the same place that Jesus slept. They went on bathroom breaks together. They ate together. They played together. They joked around with each other. They lived life together. And Judas saw all this and Peter saw all this. But as we know, and we're gonna dig deeper into this morning, both those guys took two different paths. And Judas and Peter, they were very different men, even though many of their experiences were the same. And before we, you know, tie the rope and hang the noose for Judas to hang himself on this morning, we have to remember where we've been. Let's keep moving. Turn with me if you would to Matthew chapter 26, and we're just gonna drop right down to 14 if you've already turned the page. Their decisions determine something very different for them. One of the 12 in verse 14, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? Talking about Jesus. So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. See, our decisions determine our heart condition and our heart condition also determines our decisions. Somewhere, we have to break the cycle if we want our outcome to be different. And we have to make decisions, life decisions, game time decisions. And we're about to see one that Judas makes here. And I think it's really interesting that the enemy chose to attack Judas in the very place where Jesus had asked him to be in ministry. He was the treasurer. And the enemy convinced him that for money, it was worth it to hand Jesus over. And so that tells me something about all of us, that we need to be very careful with what God has given us. If he's given you a spouse, if he's given you children, if he's given you a job, if he's given you finances, if he's given you a responsibility, just bank on it. That will be the thing that he will attack. 
Because God has given us everything and the enemy has no other recourse. Something that he attacks is gonna be something that God gave you. It's not because God sees you in a bad light and wants to take something away from you or make you feel pain. It's that the enemy is gonna see where he can get what he can get out of us. But I think the most important part of this scripture, at least for what we're talking about today, happens in the last few words of this scripture, where it says Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So every day, Judas's thought life, every week his thought life became, how can I find an opportunity to turn Jesus over to these guys? So his thought life became about not taking care of the thing that God gave him, but betraying the thing that God gave him. Because remember, Judas and Peter, they were a lot the same. Jesus told them both at that dinner table, man, you're gonna give me up. You're gonna betray me, you're gonna disown me. Matter of fact, he told Peter, not only one time, but three times, you're gonna disown me. So let's move and see how Peter handled the situation in his thought life. And turn with me to Mark chapter eight. I think it's really important to establish what we're talking about, that Judas and Peter, man, they thought a lot about the same stuff and they thought in the same manner. In verse 31, it says, he then began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, this is pretty gutsy. Let's call this gutsy. That Jesus says something, and Peter's like, hmm. Jesus, can I have a word with you just for a second? Can I just pull you aside and have a private conversation with you? And think about this for a second. And then he gets on to Jesus and rebukes him for saying what he said. Bad move. Do we see Judas rebuking Jesus? We don't see Jesus, Judas rebuking Jesus. But Peter did, and then the real rebuke starts. Verse 33 says, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Mm, that had to feel horrible. And this is what Jesus says to him. Get behind me, Satan. He calls Peter the devil. Uh, probably some of you guys have been called something similar to that by your wives. And probably by your moms whenever you're growing up, right? Um, but by Jesus, for Jesus to look you in the eyes and say, get behind me, Satan. So I think we're seeing a pretty good picture here that Judas and Peter have been, both been through it with Jesus. And he's got on them both. And he's told them both that stuff is going on. But how they handle it is completely different. Get behind me, Satan, he said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. See, his thought life is also on the things here and in the present. Peter's not thinking about what's best for the world. Peter's thinking about what he's gonna lose himself, like how hard it's gonna hurt for him to see Jesus going through it. And I believe that there's part of Peter too that separated himself from Judas and his decision-making, that he looked and he saw Jesus didn't want to hurt. And here's where we start to see the distinction, is that Peter tells Jesus, man, I don't want that to happen to you. Let's not do this. 
And Judas is like, this is what I want to happen to you. And I'm going to take a little bit of money to make it happen. And so you see their thought life begin to take different courses. And the thought life is where we separate ourselves as Christians from others. It's not the fact that we don't make mistakes. It's the fact that we start to think on our Heavenly Father. And I won't get too deep into that because it'll ruin my next point. But point number one is put your mind on the right thing. You have to think about the right thing every day. You know, and pastor talks about this all the time. This is not like a revelation or a, but man, anybody still have trouble like thinking about the right stuff every day? One person I saw raise their hand. Everybody else is liars in the church this morning. <laughs> so we're gonna have a big old altar call at the end with the elders and they'll pray for all the liars whenever we're done. Um, but no, we all struggle with this thinking about the right things and doing the right things. It's like Paul wrote in the New Testament, right? He said, man, I do the things I don't wanna do and I don't do the things I really wanna do. Like I can't get my head and my flesh and my heart to line up and you know, just do the right stuff. I struggle. And that's where we're at as people. We're gonna struggle with stuff and that's okay. It's okay. It's even okay if Jesus has to look at you sometimes and be like, man, you are acting like the devil. Shut your mouth. That's okay. It's okay for you to come into church and like not feel good and feel convicted. And the Holy Spirit's like, man, you need to deal with that. You need to take care of that. That's okay. As long as we're doing those things, amen? What's not okay is doing what Judas ends up doing. So why did uh, Peter make the change and Judas did not? It tells us in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 16. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Which Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So Jesus is talking to him and he's like, listen, I've watched the news. I know what Fox News said. I know what CNN said. I read all the articles this morning when I got up on my phone and I know what they're saying about me and I know the accusations that they're making, but I don't care what everybody else is saying. I wanna know what do you say? Who do you say I am? Just answer that question for me. That's what I really wanna know. And the reason he wanted to know was not for his own knowing. Jesus knew. Jesus knew. He knew what Judas was gonna do. He knew what Peter was gonna do. That's why he told them before they did it. So Jesus knew, but he wanted Peter to say it for Peter's benefit. So why do you come to church and you get all these opportunities to live for God? Why do you wake up in the morning and whenever you're reading your Bible or you're in time and prayer, whenever you're driving somewhere or going to work, whatever's going on, why do you feel all these opportunities coming to you? because Jesus wants you to hear yourself answer the right questions. Why are you asked whenever you're mean to one of your kids or you know you pop off to your boss at work or whatever and you get that, oh, feeling on the inside of you is like, oh, I shouldn't have done it that way. Maybe I meant what I said, but not the way that I said it. It's a chance that you're being given to make decisions. And God's so good to us that he's constantly giving us these opportunities See, Peter knew Jesus as the Messiah. 
Let's look and see what Judas thought about Jesus in Matthew 26, 49 and 50. It says, going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi. Here he is again calling Jesus teacher, Rabbi. See, Jesus just asked all the disciples in the other passage that we read, what do all you guys think about me? Who do you say that I am? And Judas never saw Jesus any different than he did every other priest down at the synagogue. He saw Jesus as another guy. Now, how in the world, I don't know. After seeing him heal all these people and perform all these miracles, and I mean, you know, probably a lot of us think, man, Jesus would have had us at water turned to wine, right? The first miracle he did, I'd have been like, yeah, that guy's different, right? <laughs> and that's the word today, right? That's the everything, you know, I'm different. I'm built different. I'm him, you know. Your people say all this all the time. No, Jesus really was him. Jesus really was different. And Judas had an opportunity to see it. And for whatever reason, Judas just didn't get it. He never made that head to heart connection. He couldn't get past his own thoughts and what the enemy was saying to him. And so we see him walk up to Jesus in this moment and say, Rabbi, teacher, I know a lot of guys like you. And that's such a sad, sad place to be for Judas. Because Peter's had this revelation that Jesus is the guy that we've been waiting at this time on the earth for like 4,000 years to come and redeem mankind. He gets it and Judas misses it. Peter saw Jesus as the Messiah. Judas saw Jesus as an opportunity. An opportunity to feel better about himself. An opportunity to be somebody. An opportunity to be a part of the movement, like whatever, whatever it was he was feeling. And, and, you know, I have to, I don't want hands on this, okay? Because every one of us would have to lift our hands on this one. But how many of you are here at church today? Or maybe you've been to church before so that you would feel better about yourself. Like, I just want to feel good. And listen, there's a point in time in our life where there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with just being like, man, I just need to be somewhere where it just feels better, where I can get a little bit of relief from the world. But Peter went from there, feeling better about myself, to, man, this is the guy that he wanted to protect Jesus. Even his own stupidity in rebuking Jesus, he was trying to protect him. All the way up to the very end right here where Judas, where Judas betrays him, and Peter tries to cut the guy's head off, the guard's head off, and catches an ear instead. And so Peter, man, he was in a different place. He was like, I want to protect. It's not what Judas did. So this is what we learned from them. This is really what we learned from Peter. Peter set such a great example to all the rest of us that you just live by conviction. That's point number two. Live by conviction. And I love that word conviction. It makes me think about the word that, um, you know, you get whenever you've gotten into a lot of trouble and you get convicted and then you're sentenced and this is the lifestyle that you live from now on because you've been convicted. But a lot of guys do that in jail, right? But the Holy Spirit does it a different way. 
When we're convicted of our sin and we live by our convictions, this is just life. A lot of you guys are in here, you're lifers with no chance of parole, right? You're going to heaven no matter what. That's the life I'm gonna live because you're gonna live by your conviction. Judas didn't have a conviction to live by. His God was money. That scripture where Jesus had like warned, he was probably, you know, I, I wonder if he was giving Judas the side eye when he was like, you know, you can't serve God and money. You have to love one and not the other, you know. But Judas heard all this stuff. But Peter, man, he lived by his conviction. He was willing to die for it. We'll talk more about that too. Matthew chapter 27, verses one through five, tells us what happens after all of this, after all the conversations are done, after Judas goes and, you know, betrays Jesus and turns him over to the Roman guards and, you know, Jesus is now headed to be beaten and flogged and the decision's coming down the pike to crucify him and to take his, you know, they think take his life, but Jesus to give his life. Matthew chapter 27, verse one, it says, early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. Who did that? The chief priests and elders of the people. That's really important scripture. We're gonna revisit that here in a minute. Verse two says, so they bound him, led him away and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, we knew when the governor was gonna get in here somewhere, right? Uh, when Judas who had betrayed him saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned, he said, for I betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Judas didn't even take the thing he gave Jesus up for. And the next part of this scripture says this. So Jesus ran and threw himself at the, Judas ran and threw himself at the feet of Jesus, begged him to forgive him, reminded him of all the wonderful things he had done and asked to go to the cross in his place. That's what the scripture could have read. I want that to set in. The plan still could have gone through. Jesus still crucified on the cross. Man's forgiveness and redemption complete. And Judas could have been a part of all of it. There's never been a time in the Bible ever that a person went to the feet of God or to the feet of Jesus and said, forgive me, I've sinned. Take my life and do what you will. And Jesus turned his back on that person. Never, not one time. But the scripture really says, then he went away and he hanged himself. See, Judas took his life and put it in his hands. And that's the end for Judas. That's where Judas made his eternal decision. He thought he knew how to move forward after all this happened better than Jesus did. And that could be a real bummer if we just wrapped up service and walked out right now, right? But we're not, because now what happens with Peter? 
So I'm gonna have to skip a few verses here because Pastor Tim took so long. That's what I'm gonna blame it on. Um, uh, I'm gonna have to skip a few verses, but I'm gonna tell you what happens in those verses, okay? So uh, Peter goes, he's hanging out. Jesus is being uh, tried and uh, Jesus, uh, Peter's hanging around there to kind of find out what the news is and see what's going on and see who he can go assassinate later. And um, so he's sitting there and <laughs> you know this person asks him, this girl asks him, hey, don't I recognize you? Uh, don't you hang out with Jesus? And Peter's like, Jesus who? Jesus? No, not ringing a bell. I, I don't know that guy. And then ask him again. Are you sure? No, you're Galilean. I recognize your accent. You're not from around here. You, you are the guy. You're the guy that's hung out with Jesus. And he disowns him a second time. And then the third time, now Peter's just cussing mad. And he curses the name of Jesus by denying him. I don't know if he actually said a cuss word, but he could have. Or he could have just cursed the name of Jesus by refusing to acknowledge it or speak it. And then the next thing that happens is that Jesus is taken away and crucified. And they all have to live with their decisions except for Judas because he ran away from his and made his eternal decision early. But Peter didn't put his hands, his life in the hands of himself. Peter put his life in the hands of Jesus. And we're gonna fast forward to Acts chapter four, and we're gonna start in verse three. Now, this is after Jesus has been crucified. Jesus actually came back and hung out with disciples for a little bit after all this happened. So, you know, they had a reunion and, and uh, they got to love on each other and, you know, probably cut some old jokes and uh, had some new meals and said, we'll see you in heaven, guys. I'm gonna go work on your mansions while y'all are wrapping up what you got to do here. And uh, wait for the Holy Spirit because it's gonna be awesome. So that's what they're doing, right? They, uh, they, they go, they wait for the Holy Spirit and then they begin spreading the word of Jesus everywhere. And then in verse three, it says, they seized Peter and John because of something happened that it explains. And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So they're preaching, man. They're getting people saved. And the church is growing by thousands. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Why is it important that they say that? And it goes on and lists them by name. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John Alexander, and the others of the high priest family. The reason it's important that, that the scripture lists them there is because he's now standing in front of the people that he denied Jesus in front of before Jesus was crucified. So same people. So Peter's like, man, I screwed up. Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm gonna live for you. I'm gonna pick up despite my mistakes, and I'm gonna... Go, let's, let's go get some stuff done. And so he does, and so here comes this other opportunity for him. And he said in front of all the people that he denied Jesus in front of. And it says, they had Peter and John brought before them and, hung, and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, 
but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus says, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For here, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Then they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So now Peter's standing in front of these guys and he's like, hold on. He goes from being coward to courageous. And through the process of going through everything he went through with Jesus, and God puts him back in front of these guys, he says, man, I did know Jesus. And I've hung out with them. And it's important that he said he was filled with the Holy Spirit because Jesus said, go wait for the Holy Spirit to come. So Jesus was, uh, Peter was obeying Jesus. He was doing all the things that he wasn't doing before. Now he's being God-minded, not people-minded. Now this guy's like willing to do it. And not only does Peter put his money where his mouth is right here, he puts his whole life in the hands of the Father. And my third point today is live to make the next decision, the right decision. Pastor always tells us, uh, how many of you guys hear pastor's voice in your head all week long, right? Um, pastor tells us all the time, that's good to know. Um, but uh, a lot of hands went up, Mr. Julie, so I guess pastor's voice is in a lot of our heads. Um, I hear this a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Just make the next like, right thing. Just do the next right thing. You don't know what to do? Just do what you do know how to do, the right thing, and just do that thing. And that's what Peter did. He just kept doing the next right thing. He, he couldn't get in front of these guys and get an audience with them to take his words back. But what he could do is be preaching to people. What he could do was go wait for the Holy Spirit and be filled with it when he came. What he could do is be taking care of the body of Christ and hanging out with his brothers. That's what he could be doing and that's what he was doing. So his decisions were just the next right decisions. Live to make your next decision the right decision. How do you do that? You don't have to figure it out. You just go to the next place that God has you. You just say the next words that God has you saying. That's all you gotta do. And God will put you in front of men. God will put you in places. He'll put you in situations that you get to declare the goodness of Jesus and change people's lives. Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. Amen. <laughs> Judas and Peter were, were both huge screw-ups. And you know, what I, you know what I know about all of you? You're a bunch of screw-ups. And you know what you know about me? I'm a screw up. Because that's what we do, and we are good at it. We're good at screwing people, people up and, and uh, screwing things up and screwing decisions up and screwing our jobs up. And, but Jesus is great at putting it all back together. Amen. And that's what he does. And you know what I love about Peter? You know where this leads him to? Man, this is so, this is like so... My wife is a little bit hood, so this is the word that I think of. This is so gangster of Peter right here. He gives his life. He ends up getting crucified for the cause of Christ. And he refuses to do it right side up like Jesus was crucified. He's like, okay, yeah, y'all can kill me, but you're gonna do it. You're gonna hang me upside down when you do it. And they did. And he refused to be crucified right side up like Jesus because he realized that Jesus paid a different price when he gave his life than Peter paid 
when he gave his. The price that Peter paid with his life was a just price. We're all gonna pay a just price. We deserve death. We deserve what we've got coming. But Jesus didn't. It was unjust what happened to him. And so Peter died a just life. In church family, we're gonna die just lives. And I thank God every day that I don't get everything that I deserve. Because man, oh man, oh man, like all of you, Jesus paid a price and he took all that stuff away. And we get to live a life of eternity and a life on this earth that we can really enjoy. You know, one of the things that the enemy's done is he's, he's made it where we live in a very convenient world and it's comfortable. And we've, you know, we're very responsible for this too. You know, and, and what God means, means to be good for us, sometimes we try to screw it up. And what the enemy means for evil, God will take and turn around back for good. So, you know, God always works it around for us, but we live in such a convenient lifestyle. How many of you live like half a mile from an all-sups or less? Right? 90% of the people in this room. We got four McDonald's in this town, right? And if it was up to Snowburger over there, there'd probably be six. Because we just have a life of convenience. It's not a far drive for us to, to go somewhere. You guys realize, like, we live in homes that have roofs. And when we go to the bathroom, it goes away with this water, you know, this little lever of water. We get up to go to work, man, we get in our cars. On the way to work, we adjust the temperature. Like, it's comfortable. It's convenient. We're not in the elements. I rode with a group of people to Red River on Friday, and we were coming home yesterday, and uh, we came through a hailstorm. And uh, we were on our motorcycles, not in a vehicle. And, uh, you know, I already knew what I was going to be preaching about. I already knew that I was going to talk to you guys about convenience this is the wrap up and I was like you know God you didn't have to do this to really make your point like I get it but uh, if any of you want to it hurt I have whelps on my body today because of a lack of convenience and I think about people who have lived for thousands of years on this earth and how man, they were stuck out in the weather all the time if you were walking from town to town and you got caught in the weather there's only so much you can do people haven't always lived with air conditioning and heating and vehicles and food that you can throw in a little box and it's ready in like two minutes. But we do. We cannot let the convenience that we live in overcome the conviction that we're called to. Would you all bow your head and close your eyes with me, please? The conviction that's about to happen in this room, it's real. And as you close your eyes and you begin to meditate on what you've heard this morning and, and the goodness of Jesus starts to set in and just speak to you, know this, that if you're feeling something that's uneasy, man, that's just the Holy Spirit convicting you. Maybe he's speaking to you right now and telling you, man, this is for you. This is what you've been waiting for. Put that old lifestyle behind you. Maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and calling you back home. Maybe you've walked away from him and you're just, you're just living like opposed to God and, and you're just doing your own thing and you think there's not a price to pay for it. And Judas thought the same thing.
But there's a price to pay whenever we live separated from our Father. And he loves you so incredibly much that he would bring you here today and that you would hear about a person's life who matters more than anybody's, the life of Jesus. And you would be encouraged to know him. He pulled you from every other thing you could be doing today just to wrap his arms around you and tell you how much he loves you. So please listen to him. So Holy Spirit tells you what you need to deal with on the inside of you. Make those changes. And this is what it begins with. It's making Jesus the Lord of your life. What Peter knew, what Peter discovered, that he's the Messiah. And the Bible says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died for your sins, and you confess with your mouth that he's Lord, then you'll be saved. That's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna pray together. The heart decision is yours. You're at the same crossroad that Peter and Judas both crossed. It's decision time. What's yours gonna be? So if you wanna decide to make Jesus the Lord of your life, the next step is super simple. We're all gonna pray together. Everybody in this room, we're gonna pray together. And all you have to do is acknowledge that that's you and that you believe. And so I'm gonna ask you on the count of three, if you wanna pray and make Jesus the Lord of your life, come back to him and reestablish him as the Lord. And I just want you to lift your hand and put it right back down. One, two, three. Thank you all over the room. Thank God. Thank God. <coughs> Is there anybody else? You didn't lift your hand and, man, that thing in your gut's still pressing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, please just repeat this prayer after me as we pray together. And just mean in your heart what you're praying. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me enough to give me the opportunity to know you and receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life. I ask you and I ask Jesus to come into my life today. Please forgive me of my sin and disobedience. Forgive me for being wrong to other people and treating them in ways I know I shouldn't. And I forgive other people who've treated me that way. I turn them over to you because I want your forgiveness. I give them forgiveness. Thank you for being the Lord of my life. I ask you to help me to be the best person that I can be. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, my Lord and Savior, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com. 
www.thepodcastnetwork.com.